Hey, you've made it to Sprayspace, where people managing social media accounts come for community. This year, our focus is social media for good. Together, we can work to make social media a landscape for healthy online communities to grow. Sound good? Then come along with us on the Sprayspace podcast, where we share what we know, learn what we don't, and strive to make social media better for us all. Hello, everybody. Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are. Welcome to the Spry Space Podcast. I'm Lacey, and today I've got a really special guest that I'm so excited to share. Today I have with me Miss Gia Goodrich. Hi, Gia. Hi. I'm super excited to be here. This is going to be a really fun conversation. It is. Let me let me talk about how cool you are for just a second. Um, okay. <laughs> permission granted. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, Gia is an accomplished photographer. Um, she's got 45,000 YouTube subscribers. Getting really Real close to that number over two and a half million views on YouTube and you've just started the bold bitch podcast which I've been binging over the last week or so so it's <laughs> I, I love it so far you're doing great work over there thanks so much yeah it's always very humbling when you start something else from scratch and which is why I just firmly recommend that from everyone because you kind of get into a groove into a rhythm and then you birth this baby and put it out into the universe and you know, it's it's a new thing and the numbers aren't magically skyrocketing. And so it's like this great chance to feel what it's like to be like an awkward teenager that just wants people in school to like them. So, so I'm hey, glad you like it. You, you call it like birthing a baby. Um, I know no. when I birthed my babies, no offense to them, but like they looked like a little uh, like Dobby the house elf, you know? So like they don't get cute for a while. You just got to deal with it. Right? Yes. Sleepless nights, the whole shebang. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing that I think it's really lovely is as you put something out that necessitates that kind of consistency is you get a chance to refine each time you can't be too precious with it and that has been the biggest gift on YouTube and just like in social media in general is just you can't hold on to it and so as you keep going you can iterate and get better but it really helps taking yourself out of the equation as much as possible which I definitely need because my brain is a <laughs> hyper analytical meaning making machine that can always find a way to make me feel like I'm 12 years old being picked last in soccer. Mm. See, I think I'm blessed with this ability to like rationalize everything that I do. I've got pretty high main character energy. So, you know, oh. <laughs> OK, well, listen, before we get into the meat of it, I like to open up with a specific question, which we're focused so much on social media for good. So one piece of social media that is good is the joy that can be sparked from our time on social media. So do you have any piece of social media content that you ingested over the last week or so that brought you joy? Yes. And I love this question because I was thinking about that. And there are two content creators that have created basically these series online that every time I see them on their Instagrams just make me so happy. One is Alok and they do these book reports as carousel slides that are just like amazing and insightful and like very visually cool. And then Blair Amani that does this Instagram reel series called Smarter in Seconds. Mm. And so it's like boppy and fun, but it's talking about colorism and feminism and intersectionality and all this kind of cool stuff. So both of them just 100% bring me joy because I feel like it's this great way of creating meaningful content, but doing so in a way that's fun and snackable. Isn't it funny? I, I don't know, in school, high school, college, you know, we we're supposed to read all these books and get all this information, but like yeah. everybody would just use spark notes instead. And like now <laughs> as an adult, it's like spark notes is 
on Instagram is how is we learn. Thing. Yeah, and it's exactly. great. Why is it ever yeah. a problem? It's not a problem. Let's learn in these snackable pieces. Yes. Well, and what I'm really digging into now are the video essays on YouTube. I don't know mm. if you're familiar with any of those, but there no. are some brilliant like Khadijah Mbo and ContraPoints. They're just and Tiffany Ferguson. There are all these creators that are basically synthesizing all of basically like books and theory and all of this stuff and relating it to popular culture and media. And it's just, they make it so fun that I'm just like, wow, my teachers were really sleeping on this opportunity. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So here's where I want to want to start a little bit today is, you know, you started your career journey as a photographer and you've now got, you know, a very successful YouTube channel and whatnot, but the mission probably hasn't changed over time, right? Can you kind of describe to me what you would say your mission is as a photographer and as an educator on YouTube? What are you trying to accomplish with the content that you're putting out? Yeah, so I might not be very popular for this, but I firmly believe that your mission and your core values usually come from your biggest pain points. Mm. And so fundamentally, as generously as you're trying to show up in the world, it's really about healing that inner trauma child that's trying to feel whole and enough and all of these things. So for me, I really grew up in a world where I was not represented and I felt like an outsider. I didn't feel validated. And I also felt when I was trying to figure out and acquire these skills that I was very much on my own because I was operating outside of the traditional mechanisms like apprenticeship models and things like that. So my mission has been those two things. How can I create meaningful representation in the world and show these awkward, beautiful, racially diverse uh, gender, diverse in terms of gender, in terms of body shape, all of these people and really create the work that I want to see in the world. And then also how can I empower and enable other people to contribute their special thing in that same way. So both of those things have always been at the forefront. And what I love about having that kind of core engine drive is that you can kind of be opportunistic and pivot in the ways in which it comes out. So once Mm. I saw YouTube was an opportunity, I jumped on that. And now with podcasts, jumping on that and really thinking if I'm not precious about the mechanism, what are the ways that I can have a bigger impact and create more resonance with what I feel like needs to be out there in the world? I've been watching, I've been binging your content okay. over the last week or so. <laughs> Stalker, <And> I love it. <laughs> you like it. I know you like yeah, it. I know. Don't I'm act like way, you I'm don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> and what I thought was really interesting is, you know, this this mission that you've had in the photography. Uh, environment has translated so well to what you're educating about on YouTube and what you're talking about in your podcast in different ways because on YouTube, the content that you've been putting out is helping everyone feel more confident, more presentable, more um, alive when they are presenting themselves through video. And from your podcast side, you're really digging into the core of people's 
traumas, their motivations, and being clear with ourselves on those things is what often gives us that sense of presence that we can have on camera, that we can have in person. And I just see this full circle happening of the content <laughs> that you're creating. Do you feel it happening? Do you feel like you're really in line with you know what you're trying to accomplish? I love that you say that. Thank you so much. Uh, yes, absolutely. And I feel like also with photography, that's what I always did. Because if you think about how you feel when you're there are lights all around, you have this camera in front of your face, you feel innately awkward and vulnerable. And so very much a lot of what I was doing behind the camera was trying to cultivate that sense of presence and warmth and power in people who were feeling awkward and overwhelmed. And I'm talking like big deal people as well, right? Because mm -hmm. we have this tendency to think it's just us, but I'm talking about celebrities, like people who you would definitely think, models that have it all together, we all feel awkward in this way. So, so yes, for me, I think the Trojan horse has always been looking good. How can I mm -hmm. hook you with that, right? How can I teach you how to light, how to show up so that you look good? Because to me, looking good is just usually the first part that we need to start to cultivate that sense of, oh, I'm okay to be here. I'm okay mm -hmm. to speak my truth. And then we get into that, the sense of boldness and confidence. And that's really always where my, like, my key drive and interest has been in how do we really cultivate that within ourselves and within each other. So for me, I define boldness very in a very particular way. It's having the audacity to listen to that internal sense of knowing above all else. Mm. And really, you can do that and show up in so many different ways. And really, when we talk about social media, that's like the biggest thing that I think gets people hung up is this idea of knowing that there's something that they want to post, but not listening to that voice. And then getting all caught up in who does she think she is and oh, I'm gonna seem awkward and thirsty or whatever your story is. So my mission across all of these axes has always been to heal that part of myself because it's still like mm. a meditation that I'm always on and then help other people and how to show up in that way. So I love that you're seeing that because I'm like an abstract thinker and so I'm always seeing the connections between things, but I don't, I don't know that it's always obvious to everyone else. You know, I think it's so interesting that in today's uh, environment and culture that you say that we have to have the audacity to listen to ourselves. Like, mm -hmm. does it really, yeah. is, doesn't that seem counterintuitive that we have right. to have audacity to even be willing to listen to ourselves? Where did that, when did that happen? That we have yeah. to have audacity to listen to ourselves and not the voices of, of other people or an other that we make up, you know? Right. Well, and that's, I think, a big part of what's happening in this cultural awakening, right, on a large scale, is really seeing these systems that are really working to negate that voice, right, and really tamp it down. Because you can take a two-year-old, and a two-year-old is totally in touch with that internal voice and is like, <laughs> going to jump over here and going to eat this thing over here and really is not worried about what the world is thinking of them. But we have these very ritualized sets of circumstances and these pressures that are consistent and omnipresent. And really, it takes a lot to unlearn some of that stuff and really get back in touch with it. But I really like to, and I've done a lot of work with this for myself, is really thinking about the somatic 
sensations? Like where does it mm. sit in your body? Are mm. there certain things that make you feel like your chest broadens and you're standing up a little bit taller and you can take a deep breath? Or are there things that make you contract and make you feel kind of sick to your stomach? Really paying attention to that internal wisdom because it's you are the expert in you. But I think we give a lot of that power away and we're taught to give a lot of that power away. Yeah, it's it's useful to people who want to have power over us if we don't right. trust that power and even know how to listen to it. Yes, exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. And it's really, I think, a, a challenge to the status quo to have people who are really empowered to show up as their authentic, bold selves, right? Because we don't know exactly what they're going to say and how they're going to disrupt things. And for people who have been in positions of power and institutions that have been in a position of power for a long time, it's inherently disruptive and scary. So there are a lot of things behind the scenes that when you start paying attention to, you can really notice like, oh yeah, this, this is a pressure for me not to do this, but this is really how I need to show up in the world. Because a lot of times that external pressure becomes internalized and that turns into the voice in your head that's saying, well, if I post this, I'm going to be judged and nobody's going to care and I'm not going to have enough numbers. And it stops you from actually doing the thing that could have an amazing impact. Social media is the tool that I talk about the most as um, our platform for impact. Okay. And mm. I would include YouTube in the list of social media platforms overall. So from your perspective, how, how can we use social media as a tool for good in the world right now? Yeah, I, I think this is a great question because there's a lot, especially after, uh, oh my gosh, what was the name of that, that documentary that was the social dilemma, right? Yeah, that's was what that kind it? of started this. We did a yeah. big, we did a big month of content where all of us, all of the staff at Spry watched and wrote and talked and we didn't want to talk about anything else afterwards. So here we yeah. are. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing is that it that documentary, I think, was very sobering and really did bring to light a lot of the potentially negative implications. But social media to me is a tool in the same way that money is a tool, in the same way that your health and vitality is a tool. It really depends on how you leverage it. You can be really extremely fit and use that to love your kids and chase around and do amazing things or you could use it to chase after people in a really brutal way, you know? Mm -hmm. It's all of these things really have to do with how you wield that. And so for me, social media is so powerful because it allows you as a person without gatekeepers, to create connections with groups of people to build a sense of community around a rallying cry that can potentially be really amazing and helpful. That said, if you aren't mindful of how it's impacting your life and your health, there are ways that it can be detrimental. But I fundamentally see it doing more good than harm overall because of that ability to connect. That people like us who've been around who aren't, you know, who've who've known a life before social media. <laughs> I think, you know, like I'm very acutely aware that like, you know, in the late 1990s, it was really hard to find somebody who liked your particular comic book that mm -hmm. that nobody in your school even knew about. Now mm -hmm. you can be instantly connected with a network of thousands of people. Like that is tremendous power. 
But it is totally, yeah, it depends on how you wield it. And also, I mean, there's the influence of the actual platform itself. So many people yeah. call for, you know, more accountability from the platform. And, and you know, there's a place for that. And I think that it's our job to really rally around better legislation, around um, protection yeah. of youth and around um, safeguarding truth. Um, however, the platform usually is not the problem, right? Mm -hmm. Social media is really a reflection of people and we get to control the experience that we have on social media to a very large extent. And so mm -hmm. I, I always like to think about the idea that whatever you're experiencing as toxicity on social media is probably something that is coming as a reflection from something that might be resonating within you. So if we can continue to get the toxicity out of ourselves and our inner relationship, when it comes to us on social media, it just flows over us and flows by us because it doesn't resonate with us. Does that make sense? Yes. Well, that's an interesting point that also makes me think about the power of curation right? Exactly. You really, yes. You tell the algorithms by your choices, by how long you look at something, what you like, what you save, what you really want to see. And so if you're seeing a very homogenous, very negative, like for me, I had lots of body image issues, still do, grew up in dance. It was, you know, tragic. And <laughs> I still, if I'm not paying attention, I will fall into a pattern of seeing a lot of these before and afters and body comparisons and things like that. And because I'm aware of it, I, I can say, okay, nope, we wanna make sure that we're not paying attention to these and I'm gonna actively go and tell the algorithm what it is that I want to see. Things that are more affirming, things that are gonna make me feel better as a human. And we do have that power, but I think it takes uh, an education to really understand what that is and how we can teach and take command over these algorithms that are really just trying to get our attention. So really it's like whatever's gonna hook you for the longest, you know? Mm -hmm. And don't you think, I think it's just the similarity between our awareness and intention around how we teach the algorithm what to show us is honestly the exact same practice as how we teach our thoughts and our mind which thoughts that are allowed inside. Oh, interesting, yeah. Our own thought processes as well. Um, yeah, I love that. I, I thank Yeah, you. I wouldn't have seen the, the the ways in which that those are totally the same. But yeah, that totally makes sense. It's as if our thoughts are the feed inside of our head, right? And if a thought mm -hmm. comes through our feed that doesn't belong, and we yeah. can build that awareness around what does and doesn't belong within our own thought processes, it's very much the same as curating what's happening in our feed. We can do it in our own mind and thoughts too. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. So I want to talk a little bit more about your YouTube channel overall. Um, I loved in some of the content that you put out your rule of a hundred. Can you can uh -huh. you describe your rule of a hundred for me? Yeah. So this idea of race to a hundred just came from well, I, I was an athlete a long time ago. And when you're when you're training for any type of sports or anything, you're constantly doing drills, right? And you're trying to get better at that thing through practice, practice, practice. And as adults, we tend to not get that feedback loop. And so we just think <laughs> that we need to be amazing the first time that we step off and do something, right? The first YouTube video needs to take off. And we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. And similarly, 
well, to play that tape through, if we put a lot of pressures on ourselves and we have these expectations for how something should land and it doesn't, then we tend to get really harsh on ourselves and stop doing that thing. And I, I see this happen with YouTube a lot where people will do like maybe five videos and then quit and not give the algorithm long enough to really reward you and find your community. So this idea of race to 100 really comes from Malcolm Gladwell's idea of 10,000 hours. Oh, it's yes. a similar mm -hmm. vibe, which is really just... Anytime you've done something a hundred times, you're, you've been approaching mastery. And you can think about this in terms of brushing your teeth, uh, having interviewing people, right? Anytime you've done something a hundred times, you've really gotten good and started to really hone your sensibilities there. So really, if we think about success, it's just how fast can you get to 100 times of doing that thing? So with YouTube, I say, how fast can you get those 100 videos out? Because really, and this is one of my favorite things, there's, a, there's some amazing YouTubers that talk a lot about statistics. And if you look at channels, there are some really easy statistics to see how many videos does it take to get 1,000 subscribers? Mm -hmm. How many videos does it take to get a million? And what you notice is that it takes a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Most people, it takes a lot more than you would think. It took me almost two years to get my first thousand, but then the difference between a thousand and 45,000 has only been a matter of less than six months. Wow. Right? But we don't think about that. We just see how slow it is from the, the beginning. So what I really encourage people to do is adopt this mentality of, okay, I am just going to Rambo rush really try to make sure that I'm pumping content out enough that I can really quickly get to 100. And by the time you get there, I can guarantee you'll start to see results. You'll start to have your thing refined and honed in an amazing way. And you'll start to really build up that kind of community that's really important. It takes patience, I would imagine, and also grit, you know, to kind of get yeah. through that. Two things I do not have, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, obviously you do because that's you why I had to turn it into a race. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And this is the thing. I, I mean, to all those like millennials out there, which not that you need to be, but there was when I was growing up, there was a way that we really prioritized natural talent, mm. and so it was if you're good at this, great, stick with that. The downside of that is that you don't develop grit. So I was this kid that naturally took to X, Y, and Z things, but like I only played tennis once because I sucked at it. And I was just like, <laughs> peace out, never doing this again. And really what we're starting to find out is that grit is really the superpower. So especially as adults, a lot of us are having to teach ourselves grit over time. And social media is the perfect kind of microcosm to really develop your grit. Because if you keep your head down and you stop looking at the vanity metrics and you think I'm going to look at what is under my control, how much content am I putting out? What is the consistency? What are the criteria I'm putting around my content? How am I constantly developing, innovating, pivoting, like really paying attention to what my audience wants. If you're focusing on the things that you can do, that is really how grit develops because you're not constantly on this emotional seesaw of do people like me, which I mean, if you're like me, it's always going to kind of be there. <laughs> so it is a constant like reframe. <laughs> 
Yeah, but people are always going to kind of like you too, Gia. I mean, I'm just going to put it out there. That's how it works for you. <laughs> yes. Well, I appreciate that. And of course, my brain is going to focus on the one in 500 that says your forehead is too big and you talk too much. Right. <laughs> like that is, just... you know what? It's probably true. true. <laughs> you know, yeah, it, true. that is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it just so happens that, and this is one of the things that I talk about and I teach a lot in YouTube is just that the more you double down on being you, the more you figure out and really get in touch with your you-ness. And part of my meanness is that I talk a lot. Mm -hmm. Part of my meanness is that I'm neurodivergent. So I have ADHD and ASD, which means that my brain is kind of making meaning in different ways. And I kind of sometimes, well, most of the time, always have a bit of a mess outside of the frame. There's just things that are me. And those are going to, they attract people like a magnet, mm -hmm. but they also repel other people who aren't a part of my world. And so I have to be okay that I am going to have people that think I talk too much, but I'm not gonna change who I am in order to fit. And it is funny, so uh, <laughs> this is totally tangential, but Khadijah Mbo, who is an amazing YouTuber that we just did an episode on the podcast with, they said, which totally struck me, is that there are like a lot of people really think that you're out to make content like for them personally. I mean, if they can just give you a specific enough critique for how you can show up for them. And I just kind of love how ballsy that is because uh, yeah, honey, like I, I, I'm not. It's gonna, all for you. It's all right, for you. Exactly. I know it just totally makes me laugh because you know, even if I wanted to be more succinct, I don't really think that's uh, I wouldn't do it very well. I'd be a bad fake, you know? Well, you're talking a lot about the, you know, the idea of how much we consider the judgment of others when we're creating content, right? Yeah. And I think that is something that ends up paralyzing anybody who has dreams of being a content creator and also ends up watering down the power of messaging that could come um, from people who are maybe still doing consistent content creation, but they're afraid to be as bold as they might be and then that boldness would end up being what would be attracting the attention that they're actually right. trying to attract. Um, but when your video about being confident on camera, one thing that you talked about is imagining how somebody else is going to be ingesting your content, right? It's mm -hmm. not, you're not gonna be, even though there's a, a million views of your content, it's not the same as standing in a stadium in front of a million people. It's right. still a one-to-one -one conversation. And so yes. how would you behave as you're creating content with having a one-to-one -one conversation versus standing on stage in front of a million people, mm -hmm. right? How do you see that playing in? Does it translate well from your YouTube content to social media content? Can you create content that is really designed for kind of a one-to-one -one human connection? Yeah, I think that is really the superpower zone that we want to sit in. And really, for me, it's one of the reasons why I think introverts are phenomenal at creating mm. social media and YouTube content because I'm an I'm a deep extrovert performer person persona. So I can very easily get into the hello my baby kind of like <laughs> wrestle dazzle entertainer MC zone. Which Jazz is hands. Not, right, exactly. It is not the place that you want to be when you're recording a YouTube video. So I have to kind of talk myself off the ledge and get back into that connection. Okay, how would I talk to my friend? And I have a very specific person that I call up to mind 
And I just talked to her specifically about what it is that she needs to learn, right? And that's really what I recommend people do when they're creating content. Because even if you think about like this video that has over a million views, people are taking that in usually as a singular person in front mm -hmm. of a computer screen or a phone. So it really isn't playing to the whole audience. So I think that is really the superpower zone and the thing that makes it accessible for everyone. Because I don't care how shy and awkward you think you are, I bet you have that one person, whether it's in your family, your friend, your partner, who just thinks that you're awesome and amazing and hilarious or whatever your thing is, you know? So it's really just getting in touch with that. And that's what I love helping people do because I feel like there is a weird layer in how do you translate yourself for a phone, for a camera, on video, in carousel posts, all these sorts of things. So it takes a little bit of learning to figure out how you do that. But once you do, then the whole world cracks open because really it's just you in your room having a chat with somebody and then they feel like they are your best friend because you're talking specifically to them. But you have to be willing to be vulnerable and you really do have yes. to work to put yourself into that mindset of being vulnerable alone in your room, having a conversation with an imaginary person. I mean, yeah. does that come naturally to you? Does it just over time you develop that? Yeah, so I don't, I'm glad you brought this up because I don't actually believe in natural anymore, mm. right? I think that any, any of these skills that we think of, they are patterns of behavior that we've been rewarded for over time. So mm -hmm. even if you think about a super charismatic little kid, even when that kid was a baby, there was some correlation between, oh, if I smile, if I make eye contact, I get something beneficial, right? So it's all really when you break it down, it's all practice, right? And people think that they just are magically going to be good at talking into this vacuous black lens like it's a human, just <laughs> magically. And that is never, ever, ever the case. If YouTubers are brave enough to show their first videos still, you can always scroll back and see the first you know, few videos that were terribly awkward, myself included. I look <laughs> like a robot and I had T-Rex arms. Like it's just, it's, yeah, it's embarrassing, but I keep it up for that reason. And that was by no means even my first time on camera. That was just my first on YouTube. So I had even been doing it for a while and still felt stiff as a board. So it takes practice. And I think, again, with the race to 100, I that is a really freeing feeling when you think about it. You don't need to be naturally good. You just need to do it. And as you keep doing it and you keep doing it and you get feedback and you keep doing it, pretty soon you'll just be able it will feel effortless because you've trained your body to just do it and to not have this whole inner awareness criticality going on. And then, and then the other thing that I have people do is this idea of a ribbon drawer, which I don't know. Did you ever get like ribbons as a kid? Oh or, yeah, I got oh, my right. mom's got boxes of them at home. Right? You know? <laughs> okay. Yes. So I, as a kid, actually had a ribbon drawer where we would put all of these ribbons in there and all of my awards. And the thing is, as adults, we don't have that space where mm. you can go back and you can really say, "Oh, I have a lot of accomplishments actually under my belt." So what I encourage people to do is just start an album on their phone and call it ribbon drawer and screenshot these moments and it could be just like my mom is my number one fan she's the best and just this morning she sent me a text that's like i'm taking full credit for all of your amazingness and it's <laughs> plentiful <laughs> and 
just like, I love you, mom. Um, but I screenshot that. I screenshot that and amazing Ooh. comments. And I put it in this place because there's inevitably going to be moments when you feel like you're a fraud, when you feel like you have no idea what you're doing and you lose touch with your why. And so to have a place that you can actually go back to and see that what you're putting out has value, that it's resonating with people. That is this hugely powerful thing. And honestly, I very rarely even look at it, but there's a part of my brain that always knows that it's there, that mm -hmm. what I'm doing is important and it's bigger than just me. And in those moments when I'm in my head about it and I'm procrastinating and not wanting to do it and I feel like a frump -a dump whatever the case may be, I force myself to do it because I know that what I'm putting out there, and this is the same for everyone, you have no idea the impact, what that's going to be when you put something out there. It might be the exact thing that Jane in Maryland needed to read for the day that she was having. And it might be that piece of advice that resonates with Drake. Drake was the first name that came to mind. Drake, <laughs> the super famous human. Um, that I'm sure there's did. other Drakes out there. Okay. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> that all the Drakes can benefit from. But you really just, you have no idea what that impact is going to be. And really, in a sense, you're robbing people of that if you are so in your brain and kind of selfish about how it's going to impact you and how you feel that that's stopping you from putting it out there. So the ribbon drawer is a tool that I came up with that I that for me personally, and then the people who I've had who I forced to do it, uh, that they talk about is really being something that's that's helpful because it helps you take the attention off of yourself. I heard you say that confidence isn't a feeling, right? Yeah. What is it? Yes. Yeah, so I, so confidence is something that I think culturally we tend to get backwards. We think that confidence is a feeling that you have, that you have to have before you start something. You need to feel ready. You need to feel confident about the outcome or the way you're going to show up. And really, confidence is a byproduct. It's a symptom, a pleasant one, of, <laughs> of having done something. So similarly, like when you brush your teeth, the first time that an adult handed you a toothbrush, I can tell <laughs> you, you're not very confident, right? Like your hands were fumbling around all these things. Cut to being an adult, you can, you can do all sorts of other things. You can listen to a podcast. You can be talking to your partner. You can do all this stuff while you're brushing your teeth. Driving, I like to cuddle while I'm brushing my teeth. You know, I got somebody uh, else in a nice yeah. little, and you like, Just you know, look at neck. each other in the mirror. It's really cute. <laughs> I like to do squats because, yeah, that's my, that's my multitasking workout moments when I'm brushing my teeth. Um, but, but the confidence is really a result of your brain you through action showing your brain that I am the kind of person who does this thing. And the more that you do that, it's called the confidence competency loop, that the more you show your brain you're competent, the more you feel confidence. Mm. And a gr another example that I use a lot is as a photographer, and I've been doing this for like 15 years, I've worked with amazing, huge, big deal clients. None of that matters when I walk onto set. I still feel like, holy shit, I have no idea what's gonna happen. Like, oh, like, um, should I be here? Like, uh, how's this all gonna work? And there's always a moment on set when something isn't going exactly right. Like, it was just, you know. But the big difference between when I started and now is yes, I've acquired skills. But most importantly, I've taught myself through all those years that no matter what happens, I always get the shot. 
I can always do it, I can always make it work. And so I feel confident about my skills as a byproduct for having demonstrated to myself and created this history for myself that I am somebody who can always make it work. I will always find the solution. I was always I will always get the images. It will always happen. So even though I still get flooded with this kind of like, ah, there's this counterbalance to that. And that's what confidence is. So you will never have it in the beginning. You just won't. <laughs> you will have it after you've done the thing many, many times. So I don't even think we should be searching for confidence. I use that term in what I do because that's a lot of times what people are searching for. But really my reframing is we shouldn't be looking for confidence. We should be looking for boldness, right? Like how can I listen to that inner knowing and just start doing the thing? And then from that, confidence will come. The audacity. The audacity. The audacity. Be audacious. <laughs> Sparkletastic. Just do it. You have it within you. <laughs> well, so many of us really get stuck in this idea of, or even wanting to run away from social media because they feel like, it, like it's become toxic. And they're like, I just want to be away from it. And one thing that we hope to inspire with this is the idea that even if you run away from it, the problem is still there, right? And so how can we, what kind of advice can we give people who maybe have a big mission? You know, either it's their own mission for their personal brand or they're working for a company or a nonprofit or an organization and they have big, big goals to do big things and use these platforms as a tool for good. You know, you have you have put in the patience and the grit to show up again and again and again and practice that confidence and start to really build some of that following and attention. What advice do you have for people who are trying to do the same? Yeah. Oh, grab a notebook because I have a lot of, <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot. One is to really find the platforms that are going to give you the most bang for your buck, right? So like looking at the ones that are search engines, mm. YouTube is a search engine. And then, and then podcasts, conversely, really bad for finding things, but people listen and really engage with you in a mm -hmm. much deeper level. Instagram is great for visuals. So if you're a hairstylist or somebody who really heavily depends, so really finding the places where your work is going to resonate the most and you're going to get the most searchability. Then I think changing your time scale because mm. not everything is gonna kick off tomorrow, next month. And what I tell people with YouTube, for example, is it's gonna take two years. And if you can really say, okay, I'm planting seeds like for a bamboo tree mm -hmm. that I'm not gonna see anything happen for a long time. And then all of a sudden it's gonna shoot out of the ground and it's gonna be amazing. Okay, I'm okay with that. So those two things I think are really important. The other is really, really doubling down on your units and figure out how that translates in different places. I really love the idea of repurposing content, but I think that repurposed content needs to fit natively in the platform, mm. right? So you can find people who are just, they feel like they're phoning at home because they'll post things here, 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 and it's not the best visual, it's not the best for scrolling on Instagram. It's not the best for clicking on YouTube. You know, that people have different behaviors depending on what platforms that they're on. So it's really important to, shape your content for the world that you're wanting to connect with in terms of that microcosm of that particular platform. And then lastly, I would just say, you have to 
really find some sense of joy in it or some sense of purpose. And so if there are platforms that really just suck your soul, like for me, it's Twitter. So much so (laughs) that I actually lost my very own name on Twitter because (laughs) I canceled my account and then turns out there's another Gia Goodrich in the world. So now I'm the underscore Gia Goodrich. Another Gia, another Drake, they're all out there. Yes, yes. And I, you know, I, so I have a Twitter now, but it's only, yeah, I, I don't, there's something about Twitter that doesn't really work with my brain. And so for me, putting time into that isn't something that's going to give me a huge return because I, the energy that I'm putting into it is energy that just doesn't feel good to me you know? So figuring out what platforms are a match for you. Conversely, I love spending time on YouTube. I, I love, I love it there. That feels like a home to me. And so I love creating content there. Similarly with Instagram, I'm a very visual person. So I like spending time on there. So I'm also attuning myself to what works, what doesn't. And that also helps with the end product. And like TikTok, I love, I love TikTok as a viewer. And I don't love making content on TikTok. So mm-hmm. I'm giving myself permission if that changes. Okay, great. And if that stays the same, then that's okay. I don't need to be everywhere at once. And so I think that grace for ourselves is super important. I often, when I have big goals and dreams, I, I'm very uh, motivated by the joy factor, you know? And uh-huh. so if, if I'm not feeling that joy from the action that I'm taking, I'm not really interested and I don't want to do it. But sometimes <laughs> I think I, ch- I cheat myself a little because I'm not sure that we will always feel that joy. Um, you know, as you were going through the two years that it took to build and actually attain this quick, I I think of it like a, um, like a rubber band, you know, like those two years are like this pulling, 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 and then it lets go because we've got enough, um, I don't know what force that is. We're, we're building up momentum, (laughs) right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, do you feel joy that whole time? You know, how often are we, are we having to set aside that everything that we need to be doing has to bring that joy for us to stay motivated to move in that direction. Yes, this is a great distinction. The way I think about joy is almost as a meditative practice. So it's not something that I feel obligated to feel or that I feel like it's something that I expect. (laughs) It's something that I'm actively trying to find in whatever task Mm. I'm doing. So exactly to your point, there are a lot of steps in the process to like, let's say making a YouTube video that doesn't necessarily have joy in it for me. But when you think about the whole, like packaging all of that up, like having a presence on YouTube, again, in my body, I just always knew that felt like a yes. Mm. And so because that, I had that yes feeling in my body, there was a sense of this is a part, this is, this feels true to me, even if people externally were saying, my, isn't it too late or, you know, whatever, whatever it was, which a lot of it was just in my head. They were saying that, but you know, also <laughs> there were a couple of people that were like, you too, I don't get it. Um, but because I had that feeling, I could find the joy in what I was doing. And maybe joy is, it's a compound of joy and 
alignment. I was going to say purpose. Yeah, exactly. Where it's mm-hmm. like, I feel like it's, it's a broadening yes sort of feeling. So mm-hmm. yeah, there are parts of it that are just totally sucktastic, but I do them <laughs> um, because it's important to me to have a presence there, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But that is very different than the dopamine. We, yeah, you know, oh, yeah. sometimes yes. I think I confuse joy with dopamine, right? If oh, I'm yeah, not getting sure. that instant validation, uh, yes. I might call that that I'm seeking joy, but is that really what I'm seeking? Or is it this dopamine hit that I'm seeking of this low level validation of my of my worth? Right. Well, and I don't know about you, but I've really had to train myself to take a step back from the feedback. Mm. because there there is a type of qualitative feedback that is really helpful. When somebody writes a meaningful review or a meaningful comment that's really speaking specifically to who you are or what you're doing. That said, the likes and the like, great job, loved it, whatever the thing is, I'm always very grateful for those, but those put me personally on a roller coaster Mm. to where if I don't have enough, I feel like a failure. And if I have too much, I feel overwhelmed and weird and all of this kind of stuff. So I have really intentionally to kind of safeguard my brain and my dopamine that (laughs) I take, I take a step back from a lot of that stuff. And I have specific times where I will check comments and things like that, but I'm not actively, I kind of release, this is actually, okay, this might be a little woo-woo, but I don't care because this is like who I am and where I'm showing up in the world and how I vibe. But (laughs) I really believe that when we talk, when you hear people talk about manifesting or creating it, seeing it, believing it, making whatever you want, there's this type of like white knuckling phenomenon, right? Where you're like, this train is headed to San Francisco. And I don't <laughs> care if the tracks are totally viable. We're going to make it. There's that energy. And to me, that is the type of energy when you're looking at likes and you're looking at comments and you're looking at feedback is just this kind of like, this needs to be successful. And what I found is the most helpful is really saying, What's most important to me is that I put this content out into the world. What happens then isn't up to me. So I'm going to strategically give it the right backing so it can be as visible as it needs to be. So I'm gonna give it the right hashtags. I'm gonna give it the right description. I'm going to send it to the right people. I'm gonna do whatever it takes to give it its biggest lift off. But then I'm gonna take a step back and realize whatever happens is not up to me. And the more I do that, the more fulfillment I get out of social media. And semi-ironically, the more positive things happen. Because Mm. I think there is something, there's kind of like that thirsty energy when you can tell people are posting for likes and follows (laughs) and whatever. That's like my bathroom selfie, you know? Right, exactly. (laughs) Which nothing wrong with that, no shade, no tea. but, (laughs) But there is that you know, everybody kind of likes the person who's just like, yeah, you know, like, it's cool. If you like me, that's great. But I like me. So it's okay if you don't, you know, I, I think that kind of that is to me, what I find to be really cool is that I love myself. I love what I'm doing and I'm going to release whatever it is into the world. So for me, that's a practice because Mm -hmm. I definitely get caught up in all this stuff. And I think it's a misconception that the more success you have, the less you care about that stuff. I think Mm. 
it's actually the opposite because the more you've had, like let's say an ads revenue, a massive month, you can't help but feel like a failure. This just happened to mm. me, by the way. Like <laughs> that YouTube video just repopped. I had a massive month of just like so many people watching it, so many views, so many comments, whatever. And then if you get too involved in that, the next month has to be a failure in comparison, mm -hmm. right? Because you can't always be going up. So that's a really important part to me is just trying to release it to the world and allow it to do what it's gonna do. Cause that video, by the way, I don't know if you know this, but this video that now has like 1.4 million views on my YouTube, I posted it in May mm -hmm. and it got no views until August. Like wow. we're talking like less than a thousand all of those mm -hmm. months. It was the exact same video. But you and kept I, making content, kept making content. Yeah, so I kept making content and I thought, okay, this is a dud, whatever. And just kept, kept doing it. And it turned out that at some point the algorithm said yes to this video, showed it to more people. And then it became this hugely successful video, but None of that had to do with me. The fact that it just, the algorithm just picked it up again and it just got all these views and all of this stuff, again, had nothing to do with me or the actual content itself. So a lot of it has to do with this kind of capricious, can't count on it energy that really doesn't have to do with me. What has to do with me is my mission, what I wanna put out into the world and if I'm showing up every day and doing that. The rest is, gonna do what it's gonna do. So mm -hmm. I just have to enjoy the ride. It makes me think, I pick I pick words every year on my birthday. Um, oh. I pick three words uh, for each birth year. And um, my 32nd year this year was focus, open, release. And, and I have struggled a little bit, I think, with the last quarter or the last third of the year with this release idea, because I do like to control things, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? <laughs> So I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm so committed to, to controlling the creation process so that it stays in alignment. You know, I'm focusing in on that and then, you know, I'm opening up to, to what else might be included in whatever it is that I'm creating. Um, but to release and let it go and let it be what it's going to be without my control is the thing I think I, I struggle with the most overall too. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like we all have these kind of, I think of them as, as like life meditations where you just keep, keep seeing things circle back around to whatever it is. For me, similarly, one is power, constantly wanting to be in a position of power and amass power to feel safe and good enough on some level. There are a lot of other ones, but I think that we are presented with opportunities to grow as humans, right? And so I think it's totally fitting and apropos that you're in this <laughs> industry, you're in this field where it necessitates, to stay sane, it necessitates release. Yeah. And and that you're being asked to do that because yeah, it is, it it is, and this is why I think you see so much burnout with social media is because it's very easy to get involved in the machine and feel like you're, enslaved in a sense to this type of reward system, to this dopamine release, to all of this stuff that exists outside of you. And we really ultimately have no control over what the algorithm is gonna do. And mm -hmm. we've seen this happen over and over again. It can change. And then all of a sudden, the stuff that was working yesterday isn't working today. And mm -hmm. you know, 89% of people are no longer seeing your content because they tweak this one thing. So 
there's just, there is a part of it that, as you know, is important in learning how to be strategic. So you are getting the most for the energy that you're putting in. But I think that release is so important in just just saying that like I am going to give it the best that I can and then I'm going to focus on the stuff that I actually do have control over because it's it's not as much as we like to kid ourselves. You know, (laughs) I like to kid myself a lot. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, as we're getting close to closing here, the last question that I always like to ask people is um, about your own relationship with social media. Um, we focus so much about creating good content that's going to be valuable and serving us as we're creating it and serving the user as they're experiencing it. But we don't focus so much on that quiet relationship that we have with our phones alone in the dark, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so how's, how's your relationship going with social media right now? Yeah, it is always I mean I'm not in the healthiest the healthiest relationship I would say because I am somebody the way my brain works I'm very much sensory stuff is my thing so what I employ are some of these tactics like right now my phone and my iPad are set to grayscale Mm. because yeah and so it's a little setting in your phone most people don't know about it and you can actually change how your screen shows up so you can go from full color spectrum to three colors to in my case black and white and that really helps i mean provided i'm not needing to do any color work specifically on my phone <laughs> it really helps my brain step away from that kind of dopamine rodeo that can be really tough for me Yeah. The other thing that I do is I'm really trying to be mindful of what my intention is when I'm in taking information. Mm. So if I'm on YouTube, am I just having fun? Okay. If I'm doing that, great. But I'm not going to kid myself that I'm working. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because that has happened. Or if I'm on Instagram, most of my time there is more in a curation, what's going on, a research. Right, exactly. So I'm not going to then go in, as long as I'm clear about my intention, I'm not going to go into this Kendall Jenner, what is she doing kind of deep dive situation because <laughs> that's not what we're about. So for me, setting the intention has been really, really helpful. But still, like just like anybody else, I can get very... I can get very enmeshed in this, the, the subconscious messaging that we get from our feeds. And I can feel less good about myself and what I'm putting out there because I'm seeing so-and-so putting this out, this thing out and whatever. So I also try to be really mindful of what is my internal experience when I'm ingesting this kind of content and try to be really aware of that and then trying to just have as much joy as I can intentionally cultivating it when I'm putting things out into the world and just have it be fun because at the end of the day it really is supposed to be about fun Mm -hmm. you know so I'm trying to yeah just get get in touch with that as much as I can Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time. I've loved being able to talk to you. I've loved being able to binge your content for a while. If if <laughs> those listening are like me and just would like to continue listening to Gia talk for hours and hours, you have the ability to do that. There's there's like, yep. <laughs> there's hours and hours of YouTube content. Your podcast episodes are like an hour 45 and I'm like yeah. this is awesome. I like listen to it for all of my drives all week. <laughs> (laughs) 
<laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, next, next, <laughs> you know. So, so there's lots of great content if you want to listen to Gia some more. You can find her on her YouTube channel. You can find her on Instagram. You can start listening to the Bold Bitch podcast, but only if you're audacious enough to listen to yourself. Otherwise, that content might not align with you. <laughs> <laughs> true story. True story. I love that. This was so much fun, Lacey. I really appreciate you having me on and getting a chance to talk about this because it's. It has had such a tremendous impact on my life. And I love the idea of framing it for good because ultimately there's tremendous power in what we can do with social media. Okay, well, thank you so much. I will uh, tap you again sometime soon, okay? <laughs> Yay, sounds good. All right, thank you, Gia, so much. And we'll hope everybody has a wonderful rest of your day. And of course, we hope that you will always keep learning. We will talk to you soon. Yeah, you